welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! Wow, that was amazing. So thankful for our team that put that together. See a victory. That is the goal of this season, to see a victory. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his power and his strength to help and elevate our perspective in this season, to see what he's doing, to see the victories in our life, because really, they're all around us. So I want to welcome all of our Kingdom Culture family. Welcome, welcome. All those that are new watching with us this morning, I want to welcome you into the chat. If you're on YouTube, please let us know that you're there or you're watching from Facebook. Let us know that you're there, uh, where you're watching from. Give us some thumbs up. Give us some likes. It helps uh, get the word out in the algorithms of social media. Help us spread the word. If you haven't already subscribed to our YouTube channel, hit the subscribe button. As again, this helps us spread the word and share the best news possible. And that's the news that Jesus is incredible and he's changed and saved our lives. And so we're going to dive into week four this week of our Heart Seasons series. Uh, As you know, and as you've heard, this series is leading us up to our special year-end sacrificial offering called the House of Hearts offering. And uh, you've already been hearing testimonies so encouraging about what God has done and what he will do. And here's the thing. You don't have to be a part of this. You just get to join in on the opportunity to believe God along with us that God is going to do some great things in 2021. We don't need a calendar year to change, but it does help the psyche. It does help our, our sort of our perspective that as a new year shifts, so do we. And so we're believing as we partner our faith with our sacrificial year end giving, we're believing for great things for you, but also for ourselves as we step out and sow into what God is doing as a house in kingdom culture. And so we're preparing this. We have a few more weeks left. Get ready. It's December 13th. It's going to be an amazing Sunday. But today I want to just dive into week four of our Heart Seasons message. And this whole series, just as a reminder, is based on the foundation that we find in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Let me read it to you again. Above all else, watch over your heart, diligently guard it, because from a sincere and pure heart come the good and noble things of life. I've said it before and I'll say it again. To guard your heart with all diligence means to protect it as a prison ward would guard a prison. Protect the most precious place because out of it, as some translations would say, come the issues of life. So protect that spot. I love how it says it in the message translation in verse 23 of chapter four. Keep vigilant. Watch over your heart. That's where life starts. Don't talk out of both sides of your mouth 
Avoid careless banter, white lies, and gossip. Keep your eyes straight ahead. Ignore all sideshow distractions. Watch your step, and the road will stretch out smooth before you. Look, look neither right nor left, and leave evil in the dust. This is the foundation of our whole Heart Seasons series. And I've said it before that to guard your heart is to control your tongue. I've, you know, we talked about Matthew 6 and about how out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is so important that in a season like that we that we are in, that we guard our heart because out of our heart come a lot of things that we may regret. Now, the, the first three weeks, if you haven't heard the messages I would encourage you to go back and listen uh, to them. Or if you need a refresher, listen to them again because I feel like they're great foundational messages that help us build what I believe God wants to build as we continue this Heart Seasons series. The first week we talked about heart exposure, talked about seasons of isolation. The second week we talked about the three leavens of influence uh, that that literally influence our lives for the good or for the negative. And we talked about in that seasons of pressure. And the third week, last week, we talked about um, the uh, on the subject of caught, not taught, and talked about and broke down uh, the heart seasons of opportunity. So if you haven't heard these messages, I would encourage you, go back on our YouTube channel and watch these messages. I know they'll be of great encouragement for you. Now, today, we're going to dive into Luke chapter 4 for our main passage, a familiar passage for many, our familiar chapter for many people. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 says this, then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Now, how did he get full of the Holy Spirit? Where is he coming from? We have to understand what happened just previously, described in Luke chapter 2. Jesus is baptized by his relative, by his cousin, John the Baptist. He's baptized. John the Baptist announces that he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And and John felt unworthy to baptize Jesus. But even Jesus, as a 30-year-old man, fully God, fully man, was baptized. And uh, he was baptized by John the Baptist, came out out of the water, and it says that a dove descended upon, or the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and he heard a voice, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, and from that space, from from that place, he was full and filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon him, so to speak, okay, in a way that filled him and empowered him and drove him into the next sort of transitional moment to prepare him for what God had next, what the Father had next. So now we're picking it up in chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from his baptism, returned from the Jordan River, and he was led by the Spirit, led by the Spirit who had filled him, into the wilderness where he was tempted. Everyone say tempted. Say it. Say it a little louder. Say it in the chat. Tempted. Tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Verse 3, Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of this world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will just worship me. Jesus replied, 
The scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And I've actually been in this area. And he said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not, you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. I want to speak today on the heart seasons subject of the caution of compromise. The caution of compromise. Talking about and breaking down seasons of temptation. Seasons of temptation. There are seasons of temptation that ultimately lead us or try to lead us into a place of compromise in life. And this connects directly to, of course, the first message about um, isolation and, and the second message about pressure and the third message of seasons of opportunity. They're all interconnected because they're all what I believe heart seasons that we go through. And as we've discussed in the last three weeks, but I want to highlight seasons of temptation, seasons of temptation. And I feel like this whole last season, let's say it's almost now, I think it's been eight months since we've been on some form of quarantine, sort of a lack of normalcy in our everyday living, our work life, our daily life, our recreational life. It's just been very different the last eight months, especially if you live where we live in Ontario. Now, if you live in Florida, Disney World or Land or whatever, which one is Florida, I forget, is open. I cannot believe that. I have some friends right now in Disney in Florida, my mind is blown. Like I just can't, I just don't understand. But anyways, if you live in Ontario, there are no theme parks open and uh, we have been on some form of lockdown. It feels as though this last season for many has been one big season of testing, one big season of temptation to give up and to give into who you are not. This is what temptation tries to get us to do. And we see it in Luke chapter 4, in the temptations of Jesus. He was tempted just like we are tempted today. And in seasons of temptation, we are tempted to give up who we are, to give into who we are not, to give up what we have been given, in this case for Jesus, his authority, and to quit on where we are called to go. These are the things that we are tempted with in seasons of temptation. Let me just pray because I believe that God, God is going to give us some insight today. He's going to give us some uh, clarity today of maybe what you've been going through, what you're, you just started to go through, maybe you've been through in a previous season, and as to why that is happening. Father, I pray for insight. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd give us revelation and wisdom on how to see our season as though it is, and maybe see a season in the past as though it was, to bring us into perspective of where you want to take us in this next season of life in Jesus' name. God, I pray for all my Ontarian friends, uh, family, spiritual family, uh, people that I know, people that I don't know. I just pray, and even for those in Canada that have kind of been in some form of lockdown, and even around the world, I pray that, God, you would just give us clarity about what maybe could be taking place in this season spiritually in and through our life in Jesus' name. 
in Jesus' name. Now, let me go back to the first, this verse in, in verse one of chapter four of the main passage that we're going to be breaking down, okay? Luke chapter four, verse one, then Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, remember he was full of the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River, from his baptism. He was then led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, this is the place where we're often tested and tempted the most. It's in, let's call it, um, trying seasons, challenging seasons, seasons where it feels like one obstacle after the other just keeps popping up. Now, let me just, you know, maybe we could call it quarantine seasons, whatever it means for you. But um, let me just define what I believe as a wilderness season. I do not believe in what many would deem as a wilderness season. Often people will say, I'm in a desert season. I'm in a wilderness season. And it's an excuse to, um, it's, an ex- it's to excuse their dullness. It's to excuse their lack of prayer, their lack of devotion, their lack of getting into the word, their lack of just, you know, hanging out with Jesus in friendship. It's an excuse because they're going through a hardship, because they're going through pain, anguish. They've disconnected themselves willingly. It's one thing to be in anguish and pain, being hurt, and actually being drawn closer into Jesus. Because that's, that's I mean, that's where, honestly, he's the he feels the closest anyways. He's always close to us. We're connected to him in union, always. But the awareness of that closeness actually gets even greater and even deeper in seasons of brokenness, hardship, pain, anguish. But often what happens to many people out there, they've been in seasons of temptation, trial, what feels like a wilderness, and they detach themselves, they disconnect themselves, and they kind of find some sort of security an identity in saying, I'm just in a desert season. I'm in a wilderness season. But my Bible says as a prophecy in Isaiah that even in the wilderness, you will find streams. And this is the promise. See, the new covenant gives us a better version of, of life. The new covenant gives, a, gives us a better promise of life. The new covenant is a better way. The old way was okay under the old covenant, but the new covenant is even greater. The, the Bible says that the glory is even greater. We are living in an eternal promised land now because of what Jesus has done. And so wilderness and promised land don't exist the same way. But I want to draw sort of an illustration just for your mindset today that what feels like a wilderness season that I'm talking about is simply just a season where it feels like it's just challenge after challenge after challenge. And even though you are feeling that, doesn't mean that you're not living in the promised land, doesn't mean that you're not living in your purpose, doesn't mean that you don't, you're not full of the Holy Spirit because you can be full of the Holy Spirit and, and like really connected to God, at least in your awareness, and still be challenged and still be have life can still feel like it's full of obstacles. So I just want to give a little bit of a caveat to that. What I am talking about when I mention wilderness. Now, if you read Luke 8, Luke 11, um, you know, you, you see that the devil actually loves these wilderness places. He loves these desert places. When you, 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 can, you can read it in Luke 8 and Luke 11, when, when, you know, demons are cast out of a person, where do they go? They go to de- desert places, desert places, the desert places, the dry places, the challenging places, when we become the weakest, the enemy wants to come in the strongest because he knows that in our weakness, if we're not relying on him 
and, and God's God for God's strength, then we're going to rely on a false sense of strength. And that's where the enemy plays on us. And that's why it was when Jesus was the weakest in this wilderness season because he wasn't eating. He was fasting for 40 days. He was hungry when the devil came and tempted him. And the devil came and tempted him in the latter part of that 40-day journey. He was fasting. He was in a place of prayer, worship, full of the Holy Spirit. His tummy was still full for a little bit. And then slowly he began to get weaker and weaker and weaker. And when, when Jesus was at his weakest moment, that's when the enemy came in. And so I just want you to understand that this is the wilderness type season that I'm talking about. But get this, wilderness type seasons of challenge and temptation are simply precursors to the greatest seasons of your life. They're simply prerequisites. They're the entry point. They're the transitional point. They're the preparation point. I mean, it was said of John the Baptist that he was a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, his cousin, Jesus, that he was a voice coming from the desert. And that desert voice was a transitional preparation, a voice that paved the way for people, almost like an invitation for Jesus, the Messiah. And so understand that these wilderness seasons are preparation seasons. Wilderness moments are destined to become winning moments. Wilderness moments, write that down, are destined to become winning moments and promotion comes from these seasons. I was almost going to call this message, you know, uh, season of promotion, but, uh, um, let, let me just dive back into now verse two. Okay. So we know verse one, he's full of the Holy spirit. Jesus, he returns from the Jordan river led by the spirit into the wilderness. Verse two, where he was tempted, everyone say tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing at all all that time, and became very hungry. Now, this word for temptation means to um, examine. He was examined. Are you really who you say you are? He was subject. The word actually could mean uh, subject to trial. He was tried. Severe demands were made on. Um, one of the definitions you break it down, even in old English, is to sift when you're tempted, when you're challenged, when there's obstacles in front of you, it really sifts you. Now, it could sift the bad out of you, so you're stronger, or it could sift the good out of you if you have a wrong perspective. But it means to try. It means to put to proof. Are you really who you say you are? Because in seasons of pressure, I've said it in the last, I think, few messages, Proverbs 24, verse 10, that... If you fall to pieces during a crisis, there wasn't much to you in the first place. If you fall to pieces during a crisis, there wasn't much to you in the first place. Pressure seasons, isolation seasons, opportunity seasons, temptation-oriented seasons have a way of simply magnifying what's already there. And it gives us an opportunity, I believe, to become aware of areas of our life that, hey, we can put more foundation on. Maybe you realize that this is an area, something's coming up in you, there's a, there's a red flag in you, you're being pushed the wrong way, maybe offended a certain way. Maybe, could it just be that God's trying to bless you, God's trying to strengthen you? Every time you're, you're pressed in a way you don't like, could it be that God's trying to grow you, deepen your root systems? This is seasons of temptation, this is why they happen. Now, I want to just give you a little bit of a insight into why the 40 days is so important. Because numbers, as I've said in the past, are very important to pay attention to. You know, if you study numerology, biblical numerology, there's there's 
patterns and there's connections all throughout the totality, the total of scripture, that where, where we see patterns repeating themselves, objects, colors, symbols, and even more numbers. And so the 40 actually is a transitional number. Jesus walked for 40 days as a resurrected body. You can see that in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. The flood, for example, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Genesis 7, verse 4. Moses stayed on the mountain, getting the instructions from God, hearing from heaven for the law for 40 days. Uh, uh, Exodus 24, verse 18. Elijah I said this a few weeks ago in one of my messages. Elijah went on a 40-day journey after the threat from Jezebel, after he wanted to end his life. The angel came and strengthened him and said, listen, I got to feed you, man, because the journey ahead is tough. And so you need to get some food in your belly. And the angel came twice, fed Elijah supernaturally, and he went on a 40-day journey before he was given the assignment and task to anoint two kings. And of course, Elisha, his, uh, a, a prophet that would be his successor. You heard about that last week. But 40-day journey uh, before, before all this happened. Israel spent 40 days spying out the promised land in Numbers chapter 13, verse 25. And of course, God led Israel into the wilderness. We all know this for 40 years. And that's found in Exodus, the transitional book of the Bible. They were in the wilderness for 40 years years and a whole generation died off 40 is the number of transition preparation and so much more it's very important we understand that so when we're tempted when we're challenged when we feel like we are in one of those harder seasons which are always heart seasons know that God's preparing you know that God is is, is, is preparing you to win in life. He's getting you ready. He's refining your character. He's working his work in you. Maybe you don't see it now, but you will see it one day if you hang on. So what was Jesus tempted with? I want to literally, I want to walk you through and I want to look at it a little bit different than I've ever looked at it before, okay? I want to dive into the three areas that Jesus was tempted with to compromise. Now, of course, he didn't compromise, but he was tempted to compromise. Just because you're tempted. Listen, you're always going to be tempted at some level to compromise. It doesn't mean you have to. Jesus was tempted just like us, but he didn't give in to temptation. So number one, first area that Jesus was tempted to compromise was identity. Write that down. He was tempted to compromise identity. What is identity? It's who we are. And of course, in our relationship with Jesus, we're not defined by what we do in life. We don't find our identity in what we do or what we like. We find our identity first and foremost in the one who designed us, the one who created us with a purpose. That's the first and foremost element or the first and foremost uh, deity that we are called to find our identity in. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the king. He is my leader. He is my guide. I want to find my identity in him as a son, we are called sons. We are called co-heirs. We're called co-laborers. You know, the Bible says in Romans 8 that those that are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. So I, I know I'm a son. I've been adopted into the family. I've been, I, I've been predestined for this. And so as I understand who I am, understand this, that as I get a hold of who I am, guess what the first temptation is going to come at me? It's going to be about compromising who I am. It's going to be about relinquishing my confidence in who I am as a son. What do sons get? Sons get the inheritance. Sons get the inheritance from the father. Sons get the blessing. Now listen, I'm not talking 
gender specific here. If you're a daughter, uh, here, whenever time I say son, no, I'm also saying daughter, okay? I'm just talking about how scripture has identified all of us as sons because it talks about, you know, our ability to reproduce, our ability, the DNA. We carry the DNA as sons, okay? So just track with me here. But identity is connected, like I said, to who we are, more specifically within our relationship with Jesus. And this was the first challenge to Jesus. If you really are, now remember, Luke 3, he's baptized, comes out of the water. What's the announcement? What's the pronouncement on Jesus? The pronouncement is, this is my son, okay? We hear this for the first time. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus didn't do anything. To be uh, to have him to have the pleasure of God yet he didn't in our mind he didn't do anything he just was God is pleased with who you just are not with what you do with who you are first and foremost he first loved us first John says and because he first loved us we can love him in return okay despite what you do or don't do he loves you everyone unconditionally so Jesus comes out of the water full of the Spirit pronouncement he is the son what's the first temptation well really what's the first part of the temptation what's the underlying motivation of the first temptation it's first to get him to disbelieve what god just said in moments prior in his baptism to get him to relinquish that identity or the confidence of that identity as his son as a son of god to to fork over really this confidence as in his sonship Okay, so this is really the core element of really all the temptations, and it's the core element of all the temptations that we go through. Let me read a little bit uh, further and go a little deeper here. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, verse 3, chapter 4 of Luke, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. So we have the sort of the motivation, and then we have sort of the behavior, the behavioral temptation. If you are the son of God, I want you to do this. There's always an exchange. I want you to exchange. I want, I, want a, I want an exchange to happen. He says, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say, people do not live on bread alone. Now, let's just, first of all, look at the actual thing the devil, the devil was referencing for him to take action on. It was really like, it kind of, some people have said it like this, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. He was hungry. He was hungry. So what's the devil going to tempt him with? The very thing that he's hungry for, hungry for food. Bread was life in that culture. So if you're, if you're, if you're God, if you're God, even though you're supposed to fast for 40 days, get through this challenge, come out on the other side, you know, because on the other side of this, he came, he came up out of the wilderness, uh, baptized literally in the power of God. He came in full of the power of God and left baptized under the power of God and began his ministry. So the devil knew, I think, I think had an insight at least into what was supposed to happen. And so listen, I don't want him to make it. I don't want Jesus to make it through this process. And so I'm going to tempt him with what he is weakest in. I'm going to cause his, uh, I'm going to go after his self-control. I want him to give up who he is as a self-controlled, you know, confident son of God. I remember one time I was fasting for three days. It was the longest I ever fasted food for in my life. It was very early on in my walk with God. And the first thing I did, I think I broke the fast a little bit too early. Uh, I kind of broke my commitment and I went and bought a bucket of Kentucky fried chicken and ate it all. Now, let me just tell you, when you break a fast with Kentucky fried chicken, it does not go well 
with you. I felt like in that moment, not only did I compromise my commitment of fasting, but I compromised who I was submitting myself to the Kentucky Fried Chicken Bucket. It wasn't a good experience for me. You know, I, I, I was taken by the lust of my stomach, wanting to feed my stomach with something that was just not healthy for me. Now, but let's just stay on this one thing here where Jesus says, man shall not live on bread alone. Now, in other scriptures, like in Matthew 4, 4, same account, it says man shall not live on bread alone, but every word, every rhema, every now spoken word from God, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that God speaks. So, and he's referencing a a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. In these temptations, he goes back to Old Testament scripture, and he's referencing Old Testament scripture sort of as the underlying, you know, boxing gloves to, to shut, sort of box the devil in this moment, okay? But the re- there's a reason why he uses bread, not just because he was hungry. There's a reason because bread was directly connected to the identity of Jesus, directly connected to who Jesus was called to be. Now, let's just let me break it down to help you understand. I'm going to read some more scripture for you, okay? I'm doing a little bit more of a teaching today. John 6, verse 35. Jesus replies to them, I am, once again, who you are, I am, this is who he is, I am the bread of life. Jesus speaks of himself as the very bread, called to feed and save humanity. He is the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never be hungry. Interesting. The very person that he is, he's being tempted. There's a, there's a correlation between the first temptation and who he is in his identity as the son of God. People who come to me will never go hungry and the one who believes in me as savior will never be thirsty for that one will be sustained spiritually. It says in verse 51 of John 6, the same chapter, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. Interesting that the devil is trying to get Jesus to give up who he is and to give in to a false version of himself. From somebody who is the bread to someone that just eats bread and sacrifices who he is. This happened to Jacob. Jacob sacri- or Esau. Esau sacrificed his whole birthright who he was, who he was called to be for some red stew. Jacob wanted to take the birthright, wanted to steal. I'm just going to compare for a second Jacob to the devil just for illustration purposes, even though I wouldn't do that. But, uh, you know, Jacob wants to take away the birthright, take away what has identified uh, Esau and his future. He wants it. He wants it for himself selfishly. And so he convinces He convinces his brother Esau to trade in his whole birthright and the blessing from God for some red stew, playing on the fact that Esau came in from hunting hungry. Same thing's happening right now to Jesus. He's hungry. 40 days, hasn't eaten. At the end of this 40-day period, the devil comes to him and tempts him at his weakest moment, but also because that's who he was called to be. I don't know if you've ever had, you know, the wrong voices in your life, Call, you know, tempting you to give up who you were created to be. I know I have as somebody who, as a leader, somebody who, um, you know, believes the best in people. Sometimes I've let some of the wrong voices into my life that at times have tempted me to compromise what I've been called to do. 
who I am called to be. And sometimes the way that it happens is so inconspicuous and so deceptive, you don't even realize it. That's why we have to be careful who we let into our life and the circle that we have around our life, the community that we have around our life. We want healthy voices. We want the right people in and around our life to lift us up, to take us higher, to believe the best in us, to call out the God destiny in us, to see us, see us as God sees us. And in this moment, all the devil sees is what he wants, but does not understand does not understand the gravity of what he's trying to do and how he's going to lose. And in fact, he's already lost. Now, let me just break it down even more for you. Jesus was well acquainted with this illustration of bread. He spoke of bread in the context always of uh, of what it's more important to understand what's within than just the outside. We read it in Matthew chapter 13. I, I taught on this a few weeks ago, but the leavens of influence. Matthew 13, talking about the leaven that leavens the lump, the lump of bread, speaking of what's within is more important than on the outside. Mark 6, the stories of the multiplication of bread. And Mark 8, when Jesus warns the disciples about the leaven of Herod, the leaven of the Pharisees. And Exodus, when you know manna came down from heaven, speaking of provision. And I read it earlier in John 6, verse, I believe it's 51, where it talks about how Jesus is the bread of life, that he is the manna that came down from heaven. This is all a prophetic foreshadowing of who Jesus was called to be. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 11, what was one of the last things that Jesus did with his disciples? He broke bread, representing who he was that would be broken. His body would be broken on the cross so that our bodies, our spiritual bodies, our physical bodies could be mended back, restored back together. This is... And very important we understand this. Luke 24, all these imagery, all this imagery of bread, verse 30 to 31, as Jesus is a resurrected man walking with these two guys on the road to Emmaus, they have no idea they're talking to Jesus. And they're discouraged. They're a little bit down because they're like, I I don't know what happened. I thought this Jesus guy was going to come back. I thought it was all going to be good. And it's not. And we're discouraged. And they get to the end of the journey. And Jesus, they didn't know it was Jesus yet, sits down with them. What happens? He sits down in verse 30 and 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 breaks bread and he blesses, blesses it and gave it to them. And then suddenly their eyes were open and they recognized him. And in that moment, then he disappeared. What does Matthew 6 say? The prayer that we all pray, give us this day our daily what? Bread, our provision. Jesus, listen, is our, our daily bread. He's the bread of life. He's the bread that came down from heaven. He's our sustenance. He is what sustains us. And this is why the devil, one of the main reasons why the devil used bread as his first temptation. Compromise who you are. I know you're the bread. I know your life. I, I've, I've kind of seen a picture of what's going to take place, but I'm not going to go down without a fight. And so I want you to compromise who you are. Of course, we know Jesus did not compromise his identity, but I think that often we do without even realizing it when we're at our weakest moments in life. And so number one, we have compromise our identity, the first temptation that would cause us to compromise our identity. Number two, compromise authority. This is sort of what we are called to do, what we are called to do with what we have. Compromise authority. Let's understand why this was a temptation in the first place. Now, let me just 
build a little bit of a premise for you. Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus is a resurrected body, okay? He's been walking around, I don't know how, for how many days, within that 40-day period of him walking around, remember, 40 days, okay? Walking around as a resurrected body out of the tomb. Some people have seen him, some people haven't. They don't know what's going on yet. Some of his closest people have just been reintroduced to him because they were so used to the sacrifice Jesus and now they've met the resurrected Jesus. They don't know how to handle it. But in Matthew 28, verse 18, in Matthew's account, some of the last things that Jesus says to his crew, you guys, is this in verse 18 of 28, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority in heaven and, I love that, and is a very important word. All authority in heaven. Well, obviously, he came from heaven. John 6, 51, he, he was the bread that came down from heaven. Jesus was a picture of God. He represented God, Hebrews 1 says. He was the exact representation of God, okay? So we get that authority of heaven, of course. But now, and earth, what happened? As a resurrected body, something very important happened prior to Jesus resurrecting. He was in a tomb for how many days? Three days. What was he doing for three days? I'll tell you what he was doing. He went literally and destroyed death. He got the keys back. He went and destroyed and conquered death, taking and stripping away the authority of the enemy. We see this in scripture. You can read it in Colossians chapter 2. It's actually a lot of places in scripture, but Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. The devil had dominion. Jesus came, took the keys back. Now has all authority in heaven and on earth. Why? To give us dominion. To bring us back to God's original intention in the garden in Genesis 1. Take dominion. This is not like a, a, a scary, weird concept. It's just simply we are called to live out our best life. We are called to, to, to see and release the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. That is dominion in action. That's the Matthew 6 prayer. If you don't believe it, you don't believe Matthew 6. Let his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. As an administrator of that, guess what? You're taking dominion. You're literally living out your initial commission in Genesis chapter 1 before the fall ever even began. But sin robbed us of that. Death came in. Death took over. Guess what Jesus did? While he was in the tomb, he dealt with all of this. Stripped all the authority away from the enemy. Got the keys back so we could have the keys and like him, have authority in heaven and have authority on the earth. I love how Dr. Brian Simmons uh, writes this out. And if you haven't watched my interview with him, he's the author of the Passion Translation, okay, of the Bible. I encourage you to go back. It's from July. You can watch it. Great interview. But I love what he writes in the Passion Translation as his commentary about Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. Let's read it. Implied by the obvious irony in the Greek, the Aramaic text has a phrase that is not found in Greek manuscripts. The Aramaic can be translated, having put off his body, 
he stripped principalities and powers and shamed them openly. This is what Jesus did to the rulers of darkness, the demonic powers at bay. He shamed them by his work and action on the cross and in the grave. This implies that between the day of crucifixion and the day of resurrection, while in the grave, it says, but this is what he says, while in the spirit realm, Jesus destroyed death, the powers of darkness, and every work of the enemy through the blood of his cross. All the enemy's weapons have been stripped away from him, and now the church has authority in Christ to enforce this triumph upon the dethroned rulers of this world. However, an alternate translation, alternate translation of the Aramaic could be, after sending out his body, okay, which was represented in his uh, in apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and believers, they were the ones that enforced his triumph to all the thrones and authorities, putting them all to public shame by the manifestation of himself in them. I love this. So I say all this to say that this was one of the temptations to forfeit the authority that Jesus was, Jesus was called to occupy and have. He was called to rule with authority. And this was going to happen after his resurrected form. We were going to see it, and he announced it in Matthew 28, verse 18. It's, it's important we understand that as we continue on in Luke chapter 4, verse 5. The devil took him now. Second temptation. The devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the earth, the world. What did he say? I have authority now in heaven and on earth in the world, okay? So the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Verse 6, I will give you, the devil says, the glory of these kingdoms, the benefits, let's call it, the benefits of these kingdoms and, listen to this, authority over them. The devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. Verse 7, I will give it all to you if you will just what? worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. This is referencing Deuteronomy 6 verse 13 and Deuteronomy 10 verse 20. Okay. So once again, he's boxing with the enemy using scripture. He's bringing back Old Testament so far, both scriptures in all the scriptures in Deuteronomy. Okay. But there is an exchange temptation happening here. The devil is trying to get Jesus to exchange something for something. I'll give you this if you just do this. I'll give you whatever you want. I'll give you all the authority over what's legally mine right now, okay? I'll give you all authority because it was legally Adam's in the garden. What happened? He forfeited it, okay? He lost authority by giving in a temptation by doing the very thing God told him not to do. As a result, death came in and the enemy took authority on the ground in the, in the very area that we were called to take dominion. Jesus died to give us the keys back to take charge again and have dominion, okay? So, okay, hear me out here. Track with me for a second. The devil was trying to make a trade. Now, this is the language of Satan. Let me just say that right now. The language of Satan, the language of the devil is to always make a trade. I'll give you this if you just give me that. The language of God is a language of favor. 
no matter what you do, I'm gonna give you this. Now, some of you just heard that and be like, oh, I can just do whatever I want. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not giving you license to do whatever you want. But the good news of the gospel is that despite what you did, he died to give you salvation. You cannot work for salvation. You cannot cross off ABC and get salvation. All you have to do is receive it. That's why it's good news, okay? But the enemy works in the opposite spirit to always try to make exchanges and trades, okay? Now, once again, he said, if I'll give you all this if you just worship me. The devil's trying to make a trade. Now, we see this actually in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 12 to 19. I'm not going to read it to you, but Ezekiel chapter 28 really is using the king of Tyra as a, co- a direct correlation and illustration of the fall of Lucifer, the fall of Satan. So when you read about the king of Tyra, it's almost synonymous with Satan and his sort of historical backdrop, okay? And it says actually in Ezekiel 28, that in the abundance, from the abundance of Satan's trading, he was filled with violence from within and sinned and was cast out of the mountain of God, which in other words could have been the Garden of Eden before man was ever in the garden, okay? Uh, Actually, Satan was actually a, a cherub full of precious stones. You can read it in Ezekiel 28 in the garden. He was a covering cherub, okay? But he wanted to be like God. He was jealous of God. It says here, because of the abundance of his trading. What does that say? There's trading happening in heaven. This is a separate uh, uh, teaching, a whole separate thing, okay? This is like language of the spirit 201 school, okay? But I, I say this to say that this is how the enemy tries to work. You give me this and I'll give you this. Let's make a deal. It's like, Let's try to make a business transaction happen. And this is what was happening. In other words, for Jesus, you know, I want you to compromise the authority that God is going to give you as a father after you resurrect. After you resurrect. And I believe this with all my heart that shortcuts, shortcuts, convenience in life often is the breeding ground for the compromising of our authority giving over what we have, giving over our rights, our, our, our call, our, I don't want to say calling, but our, our, uh, the expectation that God has on us to rule while we're on this earth well, not in a, in a, in a negative hierarchy sort of way to rule. I'm not, not talking about that kind of ruling. I'm talking about taking dominion the way the scripture talks us, talks about us and calls us to take dominion, take ownership, to be good stewards of what we've been given, to occupy, to build, to plant, to do what we're called to do and do it well. We have an authority given to us to do that. Here's the thing. Once we understand our identity in Christ, it always paves the way for a confidence in our authority that we have in Christ. And these are the first thing, these are the first two things the devil tried to tempt Jesus with to get him to compromise, okay? So we have the compromise of identity and the compromise of authority. Number three, we have the compromise of the calling. This is where we are called to go. We have the who we are in our identity. We have the what we are called to do, authority. And number three, the compromise of calling, which is the where we are called to go. Now, this is the third temptation, remember. Now, let's just understand a little bit of the backdrop of why the devil tempted him with this, okay? Now, Ephesians 1.22 says, And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him, Jesus, as head, listen to this, head over all things to the church. 
Ephesians 5 verse 23 says as Christ is also the head of the church. We are the body. Colossians 1 verse 18. He is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place. So he's called to be at the top, okay? This is the image. Jesus is called to be at the top. To understand the next temptation, we have to understand why the devil is tempting Jesus this way. Colossians 2 verse 10. And in him you have been made complete, and he is the head, again, the head over all rule and authority. Colossians also talks about him, him as being, having supremacy, to be, su he is supreme overall. So to understand the next temptation, we have to know what the devil was trying to play on, okay? So let's go back to the temptation of Luke chapter 4, verse 9. Then the devil took him, this is the third temptation, took him to Jerusalem, okay, holy city, to the highest point. What did I say? the highest point. Where is Jesus called to reign? At the highest place. He is the head. Where's the head? At the highest place of the body. Okay. He is called to rule and reign. Where do you rule from? From above. Okay. He is called to the highest point. The devil takes him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are, what's again, the motivation to take his identity from him, the who you are. Okay, because if, if he can get who you are, he's got you all. So he doesn't even go after, the, he doesn't have to go after the authority. He doesn't have to go after your purpose like he is right now. If he can get you to compromise really actually any one of these things, he will eventually get at who you are. So verse 9 says this, if you are the son of God, then jump off. Verse 10 says, for the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect and guard you. Now the devil is using scripture. Even the enemy knows the scripture. <clears throat> Maybe uh, there's something to, to, to look into here. The devil knows scripture, okay? The devil knows more than you think he knows. This is, the real, this is why sometimes he takes people out so, so deceptively because he uses the very thing that we're called to use against us. That's another teaching, okay? But anyways, if you are the son of God, jump off. The scriptures say, verse 10, he will order his angels to protect and guard you, verse 11, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. In other words, God wants, or the devil is trying to get Jesus to leave his position that he's called to occupy. Have you ever been tempted to leave the position you were called to occupy? I don't know about you, but I have been tempted many times to leave my post, to leave my place of leadership, to leave my place of influence, to leave my position in life. We're all called to that. I mean, some people want to get out of marriage. They want to get out of their job. They want to get change careers. They, they want to give up on life. They want to, you know, we're all at some point in our life tempted to forfeit our current position. This is what the devil is trying to get Jesus to compromise. Compromise your position as the head. Compromise your position as to be at the highest place. Now the temple, interestingly enough, is represented or symbolic of the body. We are the new covenant temple. So here he is standing on a physical, on the physical temple in Jerusalem where the people worshiped God. And here he is standing on the peak of the temple, the highest point. And he's being tempted. Why? Because he is called to be the head of the new covenant temple. 
This is before he died and resurrected. He's being tempted to give up on his place as the head over the new covenant body of Christ. We are the new temple. Okay, now I know I'm losing some people here. But also, I want to relate this back to, okay, the fact that so many people in this season of quarantine, this season of temptation, this season of challenge, are being tempted to commit spiritual suicide by giving up to the temptation or giving into the temptation and to jump off or from their place of high calling. Whether you're a teacher, whether you're a nurse, whether you're a doctor, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you work in government, whether you're, whether you're an at-home mom with your kids raising world changers, whatever it is that you do, if it hasn't already happened in this season, it will happen in another season. If it hasn't already happened in a previous season that you can identify, it will happen. Where in the seasons where God is preparing you the most, you are tempted the most to give up. Remember, wilderness seasons or wilderness moments are called to be winning moments in your life. They're preparation moments to begin the greatest momentum that you've ever experienced in your life. I mean, if we understand what happened after this whole wilderness experience, it will give us a whole different perspective. But hindsight, always 20-20. When you're in it, you don't see it. But when you get out of it, when Jesus got out of the, all this temptation, guess what happened? He came up in the power of the Spirit and began his ministry. A ministry that still is speaking today and changing the world as we know it. I know for me, I know that all of us probably at some point have experienced this. And I've said it like this before in the past. Comparison is a calling killer. We can stand by and watch what's happening in the world. Watch what's happening on social media. Watch what ha- is happening in other people's fields or vocations and think, Man, like I should be more like them. I'm not a good enough this. I'm not a good enough that. I got to do this that way and be like this and wear that and say that and do that and study that and, you know, get this, you know, diploma or certificate on my wall. And if I just do this, then I'll get this. And we have all these, you know, things that we're comparing ourselves to. And let me just tell you, every time we do that, it's just killing our calling. It's literally moving us from our high place of leadership and influence that we are called to have in life and it's taking us off that place. It's removing us from that place. It's sad. I, I heard this, you know, um, this video or I saw this video recently of a stat. I actually posted about it this week uh, about an interview that was happening in the U.S. And there was, a, there was a study done that right now during the quarantine, 70% of American pastors are trying to find another vocation or, or, or other work right now. That's sad. That means 30% of the people are staying at their post right now. 30% of the pastors out there are standing strong. I'm praying for my pastor friends right now around America, around Canada, around the world that are wanting to give up right now, that feel lonely right now, feel disconnected from everything they've put their life into in community over the last however many years. I'm praying for you. I see you. I'm praying and lifting you up in this season, believing with you that you're going to come out stronger, just like Jesus did in this season of temptation, in this season of trial, in this season of pushback and obstacles around every side. In this season, God is going to raise you up and promote you and that your season will look like Luke 4, verse 14, where it says, then Jesus, after the wilderness season was over, went back full of and under, the translation is, in the meaning of, in the realm of, that's what it means, in the realm of the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, he came into the wilderness, full of the Holy Spirit, and now he comes out 
out of the wilderness experience in the power or in the realm of the power of the Holy Spirit into Galilee and the fame of him spread through the whole region roundabout and he himself conducted a course of teaching in their synagogues being recognized and honored and praised by all. This is my prayer for you as you come out of this next season. I'm praying for strength for you. I'm praying for an injection of new faith for you. I'm praying for a new level of understanding for you. I love one of the things that happened right before, I didn't read this, right before Jesus exited that hard season, angels came and strengthened him. You can read it in Matthew 4, verse 11. Angels came and ministered to Jesus to prepare him for the journey ahead, just like they did in 1 Kings chapter 19 with Elijah when he was sitting under a broom tree wanting to die. Angels came, ministered to him, fed him before his 40-day journey I'm telling you in this season, I'm believing for more angelic activity over your life because Hebrews 1 verse 14 says that angels are ministering spirits sent to those who are heirs of salvation. You have angels that are looking out for you, that are wanting to strengthen you in this season when you're at your weakest. It all comes from him. It all comes from heaven. Heaven's got your back in this season. Don't give in and don't give up. I hope that encouraged you. Let me pray for you right now. I I just believe that if we can take anything away from today, it's that there's a caution of what happens when we compromise, giving into the temptation, because there's seasons of temptations. There's seasons where we're tried, we're tested. There's seasons where our heart is actually called to be prepared to grow, but it doesn't mean that it's not hard. Hard seasons are heart season. So I pray, Father, today for everybody watching that's facing some kind of temptation, that they would have a new perspective of the preparation that's taking place in their life, whether it's in their marriage, their family, their business, um, in what they do in their vocation, raising their kids, whatever the temptation is, maybe it's their health, whatever it is right now, I pray for strength, I pray that you release heaven's assistance today to strengthen those that are watching. In fact, I feel that right now. For many people that are watching, you're going to sense there's going to be some major spiritual activity in the night season coming in the next few weeks where you're going to feel strengthened. You're going to feel like you're going to have some dreams that are going to be a part of strengthening you in this season. You're going to have some encounters at night with God, with heaven, that where you're going to feel strengthened, rejuvenated, energized, because what God is doing in this season is preparation. Some of you are at the end. And so when you're at the end is when God's strength comes. When you're at your weakest, it's when God's strength comes. When you are in your weakest moments, I, I believe it's simply an SOS. It's an invitation to God to come in to give you his strength. Paul said it, when I am weak, he is made strong in me. I believe that this is that for many of you. Some of you just entered into a season of temptation, a season of trial and testing. Don't give in and don't give up. Don't compromise who you are. Don't compromise what you're called to do and don't compromise your calling and your purpose. God has something great to give you. So God, thank you for strengthening us. Thank you for what you are going to do in this next season in and through us. You know, I've I said it uh, over and over again about this season of temptation. 
I want to just bring you back as we close to what happened to Adam in the garden. He was tempted to give in to something that God said not to do. Don't eat off this tree. If you do, you will surely die. He did it. He did it. God, God warned him in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 to 17. You can eat off any tree freely, but not off this tree. For if you eat its fruit, you'll surely die. Genesis 3, verse 6, Eve was, was convinced the enemy came to her to tempt her. She was tempted. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and wanted some, the wisdom that it would give her, the false wisdom. She took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband and uh, who was with her and he ate it too. We know what happened after that. It was the very action that separated them from God. Not God from them, them from God. And, uh, you know, the first Adam that we see that gave in a temptation is very important because it gives us a picture of why Jesus is called the second Adam to reverse everything the first Adam did. We see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. It says this, the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life giving spirit. We don't follow and model our lives after Adam as a man, but as the second Adam, Jesus Christ, who died to give us new life. Centuries before Jesus was led ever into the wilderness, which we referenced earlier in the beginning, Israel as a nation, as a people, was also led into a wilderness test for 40 years and they failed. Guess what? Israel in this context represents Adam, the first Adam who failed the test of temptation but then Jesus comes, the second Adam, representing new Israel. The second Adam. He was led into the wilderness for 40 days. And guess what? He conquered so we could conquer. He conquered so that we could be called more than conquerors, as Romans says it. We are called to be more than conquerors. How do we get to this place in life? I believe this, by opening up our heart to say yes to the greatest decision we will ever make in our entire in our entire life, our entire spiritual life, not saying yes to Jesus, putting Jesus as first place in our life, making him the centerpiece of our life table. That is what we are called to do. Jesus is giving us an invitation. Revelation says he's knocking on the door of our heart. I believe God wants you today to let him in. Maybe you're on the fence. Maybe you don't know what you believe. Today, I believe, is a day of destiny for you where you make the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. Romans 10 says if you... Uh, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he is God, that he is King, that he's called to be first place in your life, and you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead on the third day, you will be saved. Simply when you do that, it's the starting point to align yourself with what Jesus had already done on a cross over 2,000 years ago. You've already been forgiven. So when you open your heart this way and just say yes, you're simply just saying yes to the forgiveness that's already taken place. You don't confess because you want to get forgiveness. He already gave it to you. All you have to do is actually open up your hands and open up your heart. And if you do that, it's the greatest first step to begin this relationship that I believe you were created for with Jesus, the creator of all things. If you said yes, if you opened your heart for the first time, I want to give you an opportunity to let us know. Send us a like, send us a comment, email us at prayer at kingdomculture.ca. We would love to be a part of your journey moving forward. Kingdom Culture, we love you. All those that are with us for the first time, great to meet you. We hope that you join us again and we will see you next week.